With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, it's Doug Gottlieb. You know, our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for fast, free shipping, free roadhouse protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of the best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Everything you need to elevate your drive, simply go to TireRack.com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show, Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the city of Angels where we're told Major League Baseball's playoffs get underway, only it's a play-in game tonight. Arguably the most important play-in game in the history of the play-in game since baseball started the play-in game a couple years ago. Yankees taking on the Twins. Look, Minnesota, you're cute, you're lovely. Uh, can't wait to be there for Super Bowl week. Can't wait to be there. But uh, no one really wants you here, right? Just no one really. This is the this is the really this is the really 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 nice reputable girl at a wild party. Like, look, you don't want to be around here. Come on, man. Stuff is gonna go on here after dark. You don't want any part of. So, thanks, Twins, but everyone's rooting for the Yankees. TV's rooting for the Yankees. 
Radio's rooting for the Yankees. Major League Baseball rooting for the Yankees. And what's interesting, maybe, or most interesting about it is the fact that the Twins have, on multiple occasions, gotten a chance to take down the Yankees in a series and have been unable to win in Yankee Stadium. Now you get you cannot get a better uh, a better scenario for the Twins, right? They just now got their best player back healthy. The Yankees are starting a complete unknown in regards to a 23-year-old starter. We have no idea how he'll play in the pressure of a one-game play-in game playoff. And all you have to do is win one game. But no one's rooting for you. All right, more on that to come. Last night, in what I think was a fantastic Monday night football game, no question, bad beat if you had the skins, as I did, if you had the over, if you had the under, excuse me, if you had the skins and the under, boy, that was a that was a bad way to end a great football game. But um, look, it ends up what twenty nine twenty. The Kansas City Chiefs remain undefeated. Just so you know, the the line was a seven and a half, and forty eight and a half was, I believe, the over under number. But the Kansas City Chiefs win a game, and uh, Kareem Hunt continues to be the story of the of the quarter pole. But but this is one of those, forgive me, Kansas City, if I don't take you as seriously as I should. I mean, like, look, Justin Houston is, an inc- they have unbelievable talent at certain spots. Houston as their rush end. Hunt as their running back. Tariq Hill, who you feel like at any point in time could catch the ball, could take a handoff, could uh, field a punt could take a kickoff to the house. He is that sort of talent. At any point in time, that's what this guy could do. And though Alex Smith has, is maligned, though Alex Smith is, is maligned, uh, it's also safe to say that Alex Smith is steady as she, she goes, Right? He's been in the playoffs. He's been in the NFC Championship game. He's played pretty well in the NFC Championship game. He's won playoff games before. He's done some good things. And, um, look, he's won playoff games for the Kansas City Chiefs, something that no one else has done for 20 years. And they've had some good quarterbacks. But what happened here on the way to the Kansas City Chiefs becoming, quote-unquote, the best team in the NFL is they're not really the best team in the NFL. They're the best team available in the NFL. Let me tell you the difference between the two. We came into the year thinking that the New England Patriots, some believe they had a chance to go undefeated, right? Coming off a Super Bowl winning year, Rob Gronkowski back healthy as he was injured last season. They made additions on offense. They made additions on defense. Adding guys in like Stephon Gilmore, adding in help on the defensive front, adding in new running backs. Adding in Brandon Cooks as a wide receiver to take off the top of a defense. All of that stuff led us to believe, hey, maybe the New England Patriots could go undefeated. And to this point, their defense looks uh, terrible and worse yet, confused. On the other hand, the offense is actually quite good, even though the offense is playing without Julian Edelman for the entire season. Patriots are just 2-2 two and two, and maybe even more troubling if you're New England. They're 1-2 and two at home. They've given up 128 points on the season. 
that is second most in the NFL by a large margin. Tennessee's given up 126. The Colts have given up 136. So it's those three. And outside of that, only uh, two other teams have given up over 100 points this year. But because their defense is still being put together, they're still trying to figure out, they're still new, you can't consider the Patriots among the NFL's elite. We thought it was the Patriots, and we're not. The Pittsburgh Steelers somehow lost to the Buffalo, lost to the uh, Chicago Bears. And though they're 3-1, and one, they're kind of a disappointing 3-1. and one. Antonio Brown's been ticked. Ben Roethlisberger has been great. Le'Veon Bell wasn't sharp. Uh, this is the same Pittsburgh Steeler team that beat the Kansas City Chiefs on the road last year in the playoffs. Uh, the Houston Texans took a while to figure out who their quarterback was. The Denver Broncos are 3-1, and one, but they've only won their three home games. The Oakland Raiders have lost two road games, plus Derek Carr is hurt. And so teams that we thought should be Cincinnati Bengals were terrible to start the year, changed coordinators, and suddenly now are decent on the offensive side of the ball. These are teams we thought had a chance to be the best team in the AFC. Then the NFC, the Cowboys have played a more difficult schedule, and they're just 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Lions, no one takes seriously as an elite team, but have been pretty damn good. The Green Bay Packers have had all kinds of injuries and fell to Atlanta, and they're 3-1 and one on the season. The Atlanta Falcons are three and one. They lost this past weekend at home to those same Chicago, uh, no, to the Buffalo Bills. They didn't have Mohamed Sanu, didn't have uh, Julio Jones. The Rams are the surprise team because the Seahawks. The point is that I guess it's because of record. I guess it's because they've beaten New England in New England. Kansas City has been good. I they beat San Diego in San Diego. They beat the Eagles at home. Two at home, two on the road, including beating the Patriots and the Redskins. Two people, two teams people think are playoff teams. But if you had to bet every dollar you had on one team in the NFL winning a Super Bowl, would it be the Chiefs? Maybe that's history. Maybe that's Andy Reid. Maybe that's Alex Smith. Maybe it's just Kansas City Chiefs franchise history. I'm not really sure. But it kind of feels like you went out thinking, man, I can't wait to have sushi tonight. We got a sitter, going to get some sushi. And then you remembered, my wife doesn't like sushi. Well, my wife actually never tried sushi. She's allergic to soy and doesn't like fish. All right, check that out. I'm like, you know what? Chick-fil-A down the street. Ugh, I love Chick-fil-A. You know what? Screw going out to a restaurant, paying the tip. I'm just going to go to Chick-fil-A, get some sweet tea with my wife. And it's Sunday, so Chick-fil-A is not open. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to that New Mexican place my buddy's been telling me about. They have this carne asada, which is remarkable. Remarkable. You pull up, huge line outside. By the time you get to the front, sorry, sir, we don't have any carne asada. So what do you do? What do you do? Like, mm, I guess I'll take some fish tacos, which were delicious. Nothing wrong with some Ensenada-style fish tacos. Some refried beans. Ah, chips, salsa, guac, maybe a little horchata, right? Nice meal. Lovely. Was it what you initially intended, thought you would get? No. Was it your second best option? No. Was it your third option? Not really. But nothing wrong with it. Maybe it's the fact that you didn't go out that night thinking, 
boy, I could really use some fish tacos. Maybe it's the fact that we didn't go out thinking Kansas City Chiefs, they, since midpoint of a season and a half ago, they've probably been the most consistent, best team in the NFL, and no one coaches them up better in the regular season than Andy Reid, and he puts his team in position to succeed in the postseason, even if he hasn't had an elite quarterback to take him over the top. All that would be fair. But the fact is the Kansas City Chiefs are your fourth, fifth option. We are settling on them. They are not the best team. They're the best available at this point. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Dave Roberts, skipper of the Dodgers, joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. How would you characterize your season? Uh, Characterize our season uh, very successful. Um, We set out to uh, win as many games in regular season and win the division. And and that's what we did. We set out to do something, and we accomplished it. So very successful. Okay, but you yeah, look, the season started kind of ho-hum, about 40 games in, and then all of a sudden you were beating everybody. Like at, at, the, at the very, very peak, you were, what, 91 and 36, and then the bottom fell out. What happened? Uh, I, I think a combination of things, the, the, the hitting, the pitching, uh, just went, uh, south at the, uh, same time. And, uh, when that happens, it's tough to win baseball games. So yeah, that, that, uh, two and a half week stretch was something that was, uh, unprecedented. So, uh, I'm glad we weathered it and, uh, we righted the ship. Yeah. You won eight out of your last 10 to, to finish the season with the best record in the league, 104 and 58. Um, you weren't freaking out, at least to the media, right? You didn't appear to be losing your mind to the media. But inside, or when you would close, you know, every every uh, Major League Baseball locker room has, you know, an, a manager's office. When you'd close that door and you had your coaching staff around, at, at any point in time losing 16 to 17, were you freaking out? I wouldn't say freaking out um, because, obviously, we put ourselves in a very good position, uh, you know, prior to that stretch. But, it was a point of, you know, you're asking the coaches and, and you're asking yourself, can we do anything different? Can we do anything better? Um, and for me, it was just that same answer is we just got to continue to move forward. You know, guys are playing hard, uh, preparing the same way. We're just not winning baseball games. So that was kind of the mindset. There was definitely no panic in our clubhouse. And fortunately, things turned around. And I think that we're in a good place going into Friday. Uh, so we'll, we'll get ready for for Friday, but uh, you personally, um, what have you learned from the past that prepares you for this playoff run? Um, well, I, I think that I think the thing is is that every playoff game is uh, essentially a must-win game, and it's very unpredictable. So I think that to have everyone everyone on board for whatever situation uh, that presents itself. Um, I think that obviously for me, having already gone through it, the coaches and the players, uh, I think it, I expect it to slow down a little bit. And I think that we, we played well, got through it last year and had a lot of fun. Uh, but again, I think my main point, my main takeaway is it is so unpredictable. And just to have all the guys ready for whatever role that uh, might be expected or unexpected. You know, the, the two teams in the National League West that are going to play in the playoff game, uh, both of them had success against you, especially the Diamondbacks. Now, I know it wasn't always your top starters going against them. Uh, good thing or bad thing that you actually didn't have success against, especially the Diamondbacks, in the regular season? Uh, honestly, I don't even know what our what our record versus Diamondbacks was, and I don't think that anyone cares. I don't 
think that we care about who we play. And there is something to the regular season versus the postseason. So I don't think that if we had our way with them or they had our way with us, conversely, it would have really mattered because right now we've got a five-game series against either one of those teams. And all I know, uh, Doug, is our guys going to be prepared. Uh, okay, so what about Kershaw? You know, look, look, he missed some time in the middle of the regular season, which many people think will allow him to be sharper as opposed to worn down, getting ready for the postseason. What's your sense of Kersh heading into the postseason where – in spite of the fact that his his regular season career is as good as anybody we have ever seen in the sport, uh, the narrative is, hey, seventh innings, more specifically against the Cardinals, have, have, have been his undoing. Even if he's had, you know, last year he's had some great starts, even on short rest. Uh, what's your sense of Kirsch heading into the playoffs? Uh, I'm happy he's on our team. I know that. Uh, I know he's going to be starting game one, and, um, there's not a manager in baseball that wouldn't want him as their number one guy. So um, I don't think that Clayton's too concerned about uh, his past, uh, you know, performance in the postseason. And I really, uh, honestly, Doug, I don't know the numbers. Uh, I, I've heard it, um, but I think that this isolated game, game one, he's focused. He's healthy. Uh, he's in a good place. We're in a good place. So uh, I know Dodger Stadium is going to be rocking, and I know the coaching staff, uh, myself, front office, we're all prepared. Uh, starting our work already on both these clubs and uh, we expect to win one baseball game and after we do that we'll be ready to go on Saturday. Of course everybody remembers the famous stolen base. You guys are down three uh, three games to none uh, when you remember the Red Sox and you guys ultimately beat the, came back, beat the Yankees greatest comeback in the history of the sport maybe in the history of any sport end up breaking the curse of the Bambino winning a World Series. Not quite those same numbers against you with the Dodgers a ton of success historically, but haven't won a World Series since 88. In all candor, does any of that weigh on these players? Um, no, I, I don't think so. Because I think that even when I was uh, when, when I was on that 2004 Red Sox team, uh, you know, you're talking about 86 years. So obviously we weren't alive then. And I, I know that we felt the, uh, the, uh, the uh, sense of urgency from the media and the fans. But I think that speaking for the 24 other players in the clubhouse at that point in time in 2004, we wanted to win a World Series for ourselves and for the city. And I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that our players here feel the same thing. And, um, you know, you, Darvis, we just acquired at the deadline. So I think that he doesn't relate to the 28-year drought or 29-year drought uh, with the Dodgers. So we want to win a championship here, bring it to Los Angeles. We feel we have the team to do it. And now it's our job to go out there and execute it and play well. What was the toughest decision you had to make in in setting your lineup? Uh, Well, we're actually uh, still haven't finalized things. Some of it is contingent upon our potential opponent. Uh, so we'll be meeting here, working out the next few days and getting together with the coaches for an office and kind of going back and forth. So it's going to be the, the, the bullpen, the extra player off the bench and what gives the best chance to win, win some games. I mean, who the, you know, the fourth starter, you know, I think that's still, we, we still kind of wonder about that. Um, uh, but I mean, like, look, these are all kind of good. You have, you have first world problems, right? You have too many starters that's as right. opposed to too few starters. <laughs> Yeah, we've got uh, first-world problems, first-class, high, uh, first high-class problems. So um, we've got a lot of good players uh, here in this clubhouse and a lot of guys uh, that deserve to have the opportunity to be on this postseason roster. So, yeah, Doug, there's going to be some tough conversations. But I think at the, at the end of the day, um, I, I know that the decisions we make and the players all understand that this, these are decisions that we feel are the best for our ball club to give us a 
best chance to win a championship. Uh, look, I, I and I'm not I'm not trying to be negative, Nancy, because living in Los Angeles, having been to the '88 World Series, would love nothing more than to see you guys win the whole thing. But um, one of the things we have a tendency to do in sports radio, I think fans do this, is well, hey, if the Dodgers don't win it, the season wasn't a success. You won more games than anybody in the regular season, and and you went through a, a level of dominance to which had never had not been seen in Dodger or Major League Baseball history. I point out 91 and 36 at one point in time. So if you don't win the whole thing, can the season still be seemed, uh, deemed a success? Well, I, uh, obviously we, we would all be, uh, you know, I, I think that you brought up a good point in the sense that um, uh, you look at the regular season and you look at the ultimate goal. There's only one champion. So uh, obviously, it would be a, a very big disappointment for all of us in the clubhouse, the organization, uh, if we don't win a championship. But um, you know, that being said, I think that you hit on it a little bit as far as being in the media, where you can want it um, and hope it happens. But I think in the clubhouse, it's more of the all-in mentality, where yeah, you're setting yourself up for a big disappointment if it does happen. But us in the clubhouse, our only focus is to be 100% optimistic and expect expecting to win a championship and you know right now we can't control the world series we can't control the championship series so we're focused on whatever opponent we have in the division series and at that next point uh we're going to try to take care of business then La- so at the end of the season we'll, we'll look at uh the whole body work and see last thing is we saw this a little from terry we saw actually a lot from terry francona last year with his use of his bullpen his use of his 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 best reliever we've seen it some from you uh, with using Kenley Jansen, uh, sometimes in in high leverage situations, but not in the traditional high leverage situation. What's your sense of of just for you personally how you choose to use him? You know, like hey, sixth inning, you got bases loaded. Do you bring in Kenley Jansen, who's been almost unhittable this year, right? In comparison to a middle reliever who is solid, but it's it's his normal role. How do you balance out the? Do I bring in this ultimate weapon? Um, or do I save him to close the game, but there might not be the, op- the, the opportunity to close the game? I think that that's a great point. And, and I think that, um, you know, six inning, which, which we did last year uh, in D.C., um, you know, when you're talking about a, uh, an elimination game. But like I said, those, those uh, unforeseen situations possibly could happen. And I know that, uh, you know, Kenley is that guy. He, he's our best reliever and in that highest leverage. That could be the, that could be the game. So that's something that uh, me, the coaches, will definitely think long and hard about that. And Kenley, whatever situation we have for him, and obviously it's going to be the highest of uh, leverage situations, uh, we will deploy him. And uh, he, he's a big horse. He's our guy at the back end. So, um, yeah, that that's the fun part about the postseason. So, Doug, so make sure you tune in and, uh, you know, uh, root I, us on. But, I, but we'll I, see. I, I will. I, I just, again, I think that's fascinating. I think the fact that the home run rate up is up so high that you know, does that carry over into the postseason? Um, you know, when traditionally teams that hit a lot of home runs can go can go stale in the postseason. I think I think it's gonna sure. be I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch. Listen, I know you got a ton of things to get to, far more important than this. We wish you the best of luck, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Doug. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right, that's Dave Roberts, who's the skipper of the Dodgers. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Under revamp format, the two captains of the NBA's All-Star Game will uh, will select from a pool of players voted as starters and reserves making selections without regard to conference affiliation. 
So uh, there's going to be 24 All-Stars, 12 players from each conference earning spots, 10 starters, two guards, three front court players per conference. will continue to be chosen by a combination of fans, 50% of the vote, current players, 25% of the vote, basketball media, 25% of the vote. Uh, that, by the way, weighs too strong, too heavily in favor of the fans, but that's okay. The NBA's head coaches will select the 14 reserves, voting two guards, three front court players, yada, yada, yada. So I, I like it, but I think it's halfway. Like 24 players, dude, that's three teams of eight. Or add a 25th player and do five teams of six and play like pickleball. Right? Play it with a clock. I don't mind if you play with a clock. You know, play a, play just a quarter. Ten minutes and then play, you know, first team to win four games wins. Everybody wins a million dollars. Something crazy like that. And, you know, you donate half of the winnings to charity. Something like some, some deal like that. Like, that would be awesome. But you can't go, like, hey, let's go pick up ball, only it's not really pick up ball. Pick up ball, there's a couple things that you have to remember about pick up ball. Usually the guy that calls game is the worst player. Like, I got game. Like, uh, I mean, the guy, <laughs> guy wasn't going to get picked up, so he got there and called game. Um, guy who opens the gym. Guy who opens the gym always in the first game. First game is always longer than the other games, which to me is just dumb because most times you go and play pickup ball. Music, do you ever play pickup basketball? I do not. You guys are not pickup basketball players. Ramos, are you a pickup ball player? Recently or the past? In general. No, not in general, but past, yes. Not recently. Okay, so in the past you have. Yes. Uh, first game being longer is... I think the intent is, well, it's the first game. you got to reward guys for getting there early, whatever. But because guys aren't loose, nobody makes shots early. So the first game lasts like a half hour. And you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, man, then you're tired for the rest of the game. You wear down whoever wins. You wear down whoever comes in and waits for the game. Like, I, all that stuff sucks. So to me, and then here's another one, is you never – people say run it back. You start taking off your shoes, it's over. Once you like, I gotta go. I got my kids got something. My wife's got something. Once don't don't put your shoes back on once you, they've you've unlaced them. But I I like the idea of it, mixing and mo- and matching. It still feels like you're gonna end up getting Kevin Durant, and LeBron James, and they're still gonna pick their sides and pick their teams anyway. And you're not you're gonna get Hatfields against the McCoys. I think it would have been better with three or four teams. It also proves though that. All-star formats are super boring. When they start shuffling things up, you know that you got a problem. I have I haven't watched an All-Star a, a possession of a of an NBA basketball All-Star game since Magic Johnson hit the last shot of his basketball career. If you guys remember that when he came out of retirement just to play in the All-Star game. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So the NFL today came out and said there is zero discussion about the Chargers moving back to San Diego. That said, it it doesn't mean that this has been an, a resounding success. Remember, other teams have moved to other places for far different reasons. It's like people in Nashville are like, oh, well, when we got them. Remember, they played in Memphis, and we got them, and we've been sold out. and we let, Hey, Nashville, you didn't have anything. You know, you went from Vandy football and Predator hockey to the National Football League. And by the way, 
The Titans were good when they got there. Um, pick another team. When the Ravens moved, uh, moved to Baltimore from Cleveland, remember they were the Cleveland Browns, they moved to Baltimore. The Ravens had previously lost a team, and they were, they didn't, they were wanting for a football team. Completely different city, completely different desire, and they were essentially getting back a football team that they had previously lost. You're bringing in a rival team from a small market, and you had already given a team to the city the week before. But uh, the NFL's ratings in Los Angeles for the Chargers were actually the worst of, (laughs) of any games on TV. So not only are they having trouble putting people in the stadium, they're having trouble getting people to actually watch the games. And some of this comes from the fact that the Chargers were the enemy. Some of it comes from the fact that the Chargers have bad PR because of how everything's been handled. And some because of the fact that they're 0-4 in the season. But it's also important to mention that while the Chargers are 0-4, help is potentially just around the corner. This year in college football, or at least this year in the NFL draft, is about two, maybe three quarterbacks, right? Look, Saquon Barkley will be a top pick. But outside of that, you got Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, both of whom are quarterback, college quarterbacks in Los Angeles, who will probably go 1-2 in the draft. And with Phillip Rivers fading, Philip Rivers was never all that into moving to Los Angeles from San Diego. Still hasn't moved from San Diego. Does the drive up every day. Why isn't there dis- the discussion about Sam Donald, or maybe to a lesser extent, Josh Rosen, being the quarterback of the L.A. Chargers? Right? Like, it gives you, it checks so many of the boxes. And think about it. The Rams did this with Jared Goff. They traded up and went and got Jared Goff, and it took a year. And you know what? Now they're excited. By the way, the Rams haven't drawn flies the last, I don't know, eight games, five games last year, couple games this year. They're not drawing well. They will now. Do you know why? Because they're good and they're watchable. It's a weird thing. Somehow in L.A., you get criticized for actually kind of being smart. L.A. is not a bad sports market. It's a phenomenal sports market. The Dodgers draw $4 million every year. The Angels draw $3 million every year. There are not one but two professional soccer teams. They draw very well. The Kings have done well. The Ducks have done well. And while USC and UCLA, USC draws well because they're USC, especially when they're winning. UCLA, I guess, does poorly. But for, a, for a, uh, a university that doesn't have an on-campus facility, plays an hour from their campus, has never been a traditional power, putting sixty to 70,000 people in a 100,000, 90,000-seat stadium ain't bad. Oh, yeah, by the way, we got other stuff to do. And lots of people still grew up other places. You can still go to the beach. You can still go to the mountains. You can still go to the river. Every weekend day. And so to me, 
Um, I look at it as it, it, the risks are greater, but the reward is far greater. The Chargers are worried about three years from now, not about this year. They want to be competitive. They want to win, and they need to be better. They need to find a way to win these games. They should have beaten the, the Broncos, should have beaten the Dolphins, probably should have beaten the Eagles as well. Maybe not the Chiefs, although the defense did a great job against the Chiefs. Uh, but the issue becomes this. If you need excitement in three years, what's more exciting than Sam Darnold? And in the meantime, if Sam Darnold was to play in Carson, that's like 30 minutes from where he grew up in San Clemente. You draw in USC fans. You draw in football fans who want something young, something exciting. And you find the either immediate successor or heir apparent to Philip Rivers. It checks so many of the boxes. It brings excitement and interest. And it gets you ready for the real battle for L.A., which is not going to be won in the short term. It's one in the long term. How much fun would that be to watch? Darnold on one team. Goff on the other. Something to think about. Everybody thinks about the Jets and the Browns. Maybe the Jets and the Browns do end up finishing 1-2 as the Chargers are going to win some games and the Jets are going to start losing more games. But remember, the Rams did not have the number one pick. They traded up to acquire it. Why? They knew they needed a quarterback in L.A. in order to get attention and play the style they wanted to play. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Mike Leach joins us here on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Coach, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, just uh, trying to get ready to tee it up for another one. Uh, we game-planned uh, till late last night and uh, looking forward to practice and meetings today. All right, so you got Oregon this week. Oregon's 4-1, and one, and I saw your press conference yesterday. You said, hey, uh, they're just as good as the team we played last week. Is that is is that a vote of confidence for Oregon or a shot at SC? No, I think both are extremely good. I mean, you know, if you look at kind of uh, the recruits they've gotten over the last four years and things like that, um, you know, both are extremely good teams and very talented teams. Uh, you know, Oregon is uh, characteristically really fast. Uh, yeah, I guess what makes USC so scary when you play them is they're not just fast, but they're big fast. You know, I mean, USC's kind of kind of uh, thick fast. I mean, they're not just uh, uh, you know little guys, uh, you know, little bursty guys. They're they're thick fast. But um, now Oregon's got real good speed and um, got one of the best running backs in the conference and. So you know, we're up there at Autzen, and uh, uh, should be a great environment, great game. But, uh, you know, that, that that's a tough team. You know, it's interesting. Um, you pointed out at halftime of the SC game that you thought you should have had more points. And as, like, as good as your team was, as good as Luke Falk was in the second half, there were times early in the game in which he missed throws that he normally makes. Was it? Did you have to settle him down? What was? What did you say to your team at the half? I thought we had to settle the receivers down more than anything. We dropped uh, seven balls, and um, uh, we dropped seven balls. But the, the one thing is, is uh, you know, kind of a uh, everybody's very anxious, and it, you know, it's a big buildup for the game. And 
I thought that our guys did a pretty good job of um, of uh, sticking in there. I thought Luke was real steady, and then as uh, the rest of our guys settled down, I thought uh, we got better and better as a team. And then I also thought that uh, our offensive line played pretty well. And then um, really all three sides of the ball for us, I thought um, – you know, we played extremely hard, sloppy at times. Um, and then uh, the first half, the ball really didn't roll our direction very well either. I mean, we had a freakish tip ball that, you know, they end up on the like the two-yard line or something. We end up holding them to a field goal. But, uh, you know, the first half, the ball didn't really roll our direction. Second half, you know, I thought it was uh, – we were a little more fortunate that way and then uh, hung in there and it was uh, pounded back and forth. I thought we moved the ball good the whole day, had the ball almost 35 minutes. So, um, And the, then we won and, of course, everybody was excited. You know, it's, it's interesting because there are some uncharacteristic or at least traditionally in your career, some of, the, some of the things that you guys have been able to do this season and specifically against USC are not characteristic of what your teams and your offense have done in the past. And, and, for, and tell me if I'm wrong, but, like, look, you ran the ball effectively, especially when you needed to, something that you haven't always wanted to or, or tried to do. You know, Morrow had not just 91 yards, did on six carries, and then Williams had, had 34, I thought, important yards. Um, your defense, as you pointed out, you got some huge stops, like when you got the stop at the two-yard line, when you got stops late. And, uh, and, and then, um, you know, I, I, I just I felt like you were able to really pressure the passer consistently <laughs> And like these were things that in in the past you your teams hadn't been able to do. Is it this team? Is it you evolving as a coach? Why why some of the things that people would classify as not Mike Leach team things have you guys been able to do? No, I think it was a I think it's a combination. I think for one, um, defensively we. Uh, you know, we well as a team, both sides of the ball. We're a young team. We were a real young team uh, last year. Played a bunch of guys that were freshmen, and so now they're sophomores. But at least they're experienced sophomores. And we're still a pretty young team. But as a team, we're predominantly sophomores and juniors. And uh, so I think that's paying some dividends uh, this year. As, as guys know their role and embrace the off season. Uh, as far as the backs, I, I, the people have that all screwed up. I mean, last year we our backs were the most productive backs in the Pac-12. If you had up their yards, uh, whether on the ground or in the air, ours had the most over the entire conference, which uh, um, if we don't lead the conference, we're close a lot. Um, you know, of course, we'll have some receiving yards, and other teams may not have very many, but – those yards have a funny way of spending exactly the same, you know. And then, um, of course, uh, you know, the last two years we've had pretty good years around here. So, what are you doing? Anyway. Right? What are you currently doing at this very moment? Are you brushing your teeth? Uh, no, I was. Uh, I I did wash my hands. I thought I'd slip that in so that you and your listeners. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, morning here, getting ready to go to the meetings. And I wanted to share that with. Uh, with you and the good listeners in Los Angeles. And uh, I've got coffee going and uh, just trying to, you know, make my tail a little bushier here as I get ready to go in there and uh, 
heat up for practice and get another good week going. How do you take your coffee? Uh, just black. Uh, is there any nothing special kind? Like, are you nothing like to obstruct the harsh bitter taste? Are, are you now? Are you like a Folgers guy? Do you have a specific kind of like? I know how head coaches are. Like, I want it how I want it, and that's how I want it. Is there a specific kind of coffee that you like? Not really. Just whatever's laying there, and then as the day goes on, then I become kind of a green tea guy. Um, but the thing is, is remember the well, the part that's disturbing is. Um, you know, as you as your mind kind of speeds up, you know, you know, it's it's like almost kind of a chain uh, a chain green tea habit develops. You know, where 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 you might have a cup sitting there with uh, you know half full of tea a tea bag there, and then you're up getting another one. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. No, you start you start chain chain drinking tea. Uh, I read a story where uh, early on when you were coaching with Hal Mummy. At uh, at Iowa Wesleyan. This is before you guys left, and uh, you went to what Valdosta State, and then you went to eventually went to Kentucky, and then Kentucky, I know to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to, to Tech. <clears throat> that you always wanted to coach at uh, at a, a high school in Key West, right? Well, as I went to Key West, I did. Um, <clears throat> I guess that started. Let me think here. Probably. In 89 or 90, when I first went down to Key West, I first wanted to go there. Then once I went there, <clears throat> I thought, wouldn't it be great to coach down here? Yeah, that's, I mean, uh, <clears throat> about things when all that happened. Okay, I but, mean, but uh, in, in 96, the job opened at, at Key West High, and you applied <clears throat> for it and didn't get it? No, I didn't get it. Uh, Who got it? Uh, the, uh, it was a fellow from... Uh, and I don't know his name. It was a fellow from New Hampshire. Sounded like he was going to retire down there. And then uh, in in Key West, one thing because it's hard to make a living um, in Key West. I mean, everybody uh, splits time. Is like a cab driver <coughs> or a bartender or something uh, to make ends meet. But anyway, he was already heading down there to begin with. So um, it might have appealed to him that. Uh, that uh, he was already going to be there. And then that was towards the tail end of uh, when I would interview for jobs. And I'd say, well, you know, I did this. I did that. I studied this. And, you know, I just want to know how I did on the interview so I can improve, you know. <laughs> and the guy'd say, get older, you know. And so then I went off and I got older. <laughs> <laughs> You've successfully accomplished. I think now you would get that job if you if you so if you so apply if you decide to to retire down there. Um, it, it was pointed out numerous times. You guys haven't left the Palouse yet for a game. Obviously, that changes this weekend. Five of your last seven are on the road, um, and so I, I guess the question becomes: You thought you had? You said you were not surprised by beating SC. Like you thought you had a good team. They're coming into your place. And you beat him. It didn't. It didn't surprise. Didn't raise your blood temperature at all. Um, what do you still have to learn about your team as you guys travel for your last seven games, five of which on the road? You know, we just got. To, I, I always see the the season in increments of weeks, and you've got to take a step and improve uh, a notch each week. Is is how I always see it. And. Um, you know, we have to do that. I mean, we have to be a better team uh, today than we were last Friday. I think that's an important part of it. And then, 
You know, heck, they did a freaky study, and 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 we were one of those teams, but we weren't the only one. They did this weird study last year where uh, the road team won most of the games in our conference, and it's the, it's the strangest thing, but it seems like road teams fare better in this conference than home teams on uh, on a lot of occasions, and where they actually won more or something like that. So, you know, we're going to take that overwhelming advantage and uh, go into Austin Stadium and do the best we can. Luke has 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. You already thrown for 1,700 yards. You go back and, I mean, like, look, he's the picture of consistency. And and yet when you, when you hear the discussions about Heisman trophies, when you hear discussions about uh, NFL quarterbacks, you don't hear his name mentioned. No one knows more about the quarterback position uh, than you do. What's your assessment of Luke Falk, especially as you, you saw Sam Darnold come into your building last week? Well, I think Luke's an extremely good player. I think, uh, you know, I think it's uh, well documented. He's won more games in the Pac-12 than any active uh, quarterback. I think uh, <clears throat> I think he will go to the NFL, and I think that uh, a lot of times it's just media base. You know, I mean, um, schools and bigger media bases have more uh, media and coverage around them, and I think that, uh, you know, of course uh, – names at those schools will get elevated because they want to have something exciting to cover down there. And, and, uh, but that, and, you know, Luke's numbers, Luke's uh, results, all that Luke, Luke Falk's the best quarterback in the conference. And I, you know, and it's pretty much indisputable any way you measure it. Better than Rosen, better than Darnold. Well, uh, break out his numbers, break out Luke's. And then we're not talking by a very close margin either. I think what I, I don't think it comes down as much. Some of it is market size or school name, but I think a lot of it is I think respect for the fact that you've had so many quarterbacks who have put up numbers. Like you know, you go back to Tech and you go back to when you're at OU. I'm like, uh, you go back to to uh, to to Couch when you're at at Kentucky. Like the 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 one thing you can always count on is your quarterback will have ridiculous numbers. How do you combat that? No, I don't know. I get just. Uh... Good coaching and clean living, you know. Coffee in the morning, green tea in the afternoon, and wash your hands uh, as often as possible. Is that about right? Yeah, you have good hygiene, too. As I, as I say that, I probably haven't showered in two days and <laughs> getting ready to walk to school, you know. I, I, I have a walk. Oh, I have a walk routine. You, you could throw that in. How long is the walk? Uh, uh, three and a half miles, but it's hilly. And then I can do all my phone calls and things. It actually, um, um, you're fortunate because this is kind of on the front end. There is about a there is a hill about a half a mile long, and it's pretty steep. As I'm coming in the backside of campus, it's not unusual um, uh, for me to be huffing and puffing on some of these interviews. And uh, but we try to kind of make it, uh, you know, genuine, rustic, all those things. So. Um, yeah, going up the back side of that hill doing an interview, I try to let the interviewer do most of the talking so I can catch my breath. Great. Well, listen, we'll allow you to get, get to your walk, get to your day, get to your meetings. Congratulations on the win. Safe travels to Eugene. Hopefully you come back uh, to Pullman with, with a W. Appreciate you joining us on Fox Sports Radio. Well, thanks so much. It's always, uh, it's always great to talk to you. And, um, man, good to hear from you and tell everybody to buy my book, Swing Your Sword, and the book I wrote on Geronimo.
Make sure I pick that one up at Amazon. Uh, thanks so much, Coach. Mike Leach joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. LeVar Ball says he's going to pull LaMelo Ball from uh, high school. Now, LaMelo Ball goes to a high school called uh, Chino Hills. Chino Hills is in the Inland Empire. Um, it smells of cow poop there. There, It is. It just is. There's lots of horses, lots of cattle. Um, Inland Empire is a place in which um, it's less expensive to live, and you can get to Los Angeles, you can get to Orange County, you can get to Las Vegas far easier, but it's hotter, dustier, and uh, sometimes a little bit smellier. Good people there. I just, I'm not pointing out anything that's, it's developed, it, 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 it kind of blew up as a development, I don't know, 20 years ago. And then, of course, when the recession was bad, that part of it got just crushed because the housing was so overvalued. People who made $30,000, $40,000 a year were buying a couple hundred thousand dollar homes and unable to make their payments. So what happened was uh, Dennis Lattimore took over. Now, Lattimore played in college. He's coached college basketball before. Played Arizona, played Notre Dame. And you replace Stephen Gilling, who, of course, um, LeVar Ball chased out of town. Dennis Lattimore wanted to play a more traditional style as opposed to the way Chino Hills played before, which is press and just shoot crazy three-point shots. Crazy. And so LeVar Ball says, uh, it's a new coach, and I don't like him one bit. LaMelo's on track for UCLA, but he doesn't have to be dealing with those knuckleheads. I'm not letting them mess with his head anymore. You can put that on the principal and the coach over there. The coach has his own frame of mind He want, on how he wants to play and who he picks in his team. Okay, y'all got this going. Let's see you do it without my tutelage. Without me training those players at my house, it seems like anybody who's training over there, that coach doesn't want him with the team. Look, I'll point out, my dad nearly pointed, pulled me from my high school, and I had a really good high school coach, a guy named Andy Ground, who's now the head coach at um, Saddleback Community College. Been wildly successful high school and junior college coach. And, like, look, this happens. Right? Where you're like, I'll pull him. I'll send him to a prep school. We'll, we'll, we'll move. We'll go to a different district, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I actually think the best thing for LaMelo would be to play for somebody else, to play for a different style, to understand that at some point you've got to play real basketball. I wildly disagree with this, especially because though it worked for Lonzo, it did. Lonzo Ball was an All-American, won a state championship, uh, went to UCLA, completely turned around UCLA, was the number two pick of the draft, and now he gets to play for the Lakers. Like, those are wins. But LeVar was different then. He wasn't this bigger-than-life character making bombastic statements that we tweeted about or talked about or people wrote about. And LaMelo's different. You can raise kids exactly the same in the same home. Anybody who has kids knows this. Ramos has kids. He knows this. You can raise kids the exact same way, and they turn out differently or because they're different. LaMelo Ball is different than Lonzo Ball. He is selfish as Lonzo is unselfish. The Lakers, I talked to some Lakers coaches last night before their uh, exhibition game against the Nuggets. They're like, look, we got to tell Lonzo to look to score more to be more selfish or look to make plays more. Instead, he's just give, he's just getting the rid of the ball too quickly. 
And then I saw this from Nancy Armour, who I don't know Nancy. She may be a super talented writer. This is a bad piece. This is a bad take. This is a hot take. Congratulations, LeVar Ball. You've finally done the impossible. Not create the world's greatest basketball player. Jury's still out on that for a while, but early indications are not promising. So now she's taking shots at Lonzo Ball, who's played in one and a quarter, one and a quarter exhibition games. Not that I think Lonzo's going to be the greatest player ever, but one and a quarter. Uh, nor did you create the model athletic experience or dynasty that will be remembered for years to come. Not anything positive. No, what Le- what Ball has done is finally supplant Marv Murnovich as the worst parent ever. A title Murnovich had a, a lot grip on for some 30 years. Now, part of this is I'm friends with Marv Murnovich. I'm friends with Todd Murnovich. And though Nancy Armour may put all of the post-career disaster that is Todd Murnovich on Marv Murnovich, Todd Murnovich was a first-round draft pick of the L.A. Raiders, starting quarterback as a rookie, started at USC, All-American. Now, he didn't have a great life. He hasn't had a great life in terms of uh, being balanced and staying out of trouble when he got involved in drugs, but laying all of the drug problems on the foot of parents is, well, taking away any sort of accountability from the kid. Additionally, uh, so I don't think Marvin Rivich is even the worst parent ever, and I definitely don't think LeVar Ball is. I mean, you know, Look, I don't agree with a lot of stuff LeVar does. I won't do it for my kid. I'll criticize it. But I also won't say he's the worst parent ever. Bad piece after a bad decision by LeVar Ball. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 